welcome to WeTown Talks. WeTown is a community for developers and WeTown Talks is a live audio stream. This is a recorded episode from the live stream. We invite inspiring techies from all over the world to meet, host talks and discuss the latest in tech. My name is Charlotte Holman and I'm the founder of WeTal. In this episode we meet Ehab Kairedin who works as a tech lead at Postnode. He will go through the differences between working in a startup like WeTal and a big company like Postnode. He will also share his knowledge about the job market in Stockholm and how to get into the tech scene. Yeah, welcome! So fun to have Thank you here. Cool, so for us that don't know much about you, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I've been pretty much in like in one way or another involved in tech since I was much, much younger than this. Um, I had my first project when I was at the age of 14, uh, which did not work at all because surprise, surprise, banks don't really allow you to have bank accounts when you're, <laughs> when you're a child. Uh, so I kicked off my first project around the age of uh, 17, um, where I was basically creating my own uh, projects on the LAMP stack, stitching you know, different projects from here and there and making money through advertising and so on. And over the years, it progressed, uh, and within the last five, six years, particularly, this is when I got when I was like very deeply involved in software architecture and software engineering in general, and uh, mostly within the realm of uh, uh, backend programming. Um, I worked uh, for a while in Poland. I lived there for five years before moving to Sweden, but maybe. A little bit over three years ago, um, I had a lot of curiosity about the about the tech scene in Stockholm, the startups, the good companies, and you know how uh, how this bubble is like in here. Uh, and I worked with a couple of startups, uh, maybe notably uh, Natural Cycles and Barnabys. And uh, a little bit over a year ago, I joined the uh, postman yeah. cool and just by curiosity like what's your what languages do you program in yeah. uh, mostly uh, node over typescript um, historically there was a little bit of php that i'm uh, still ashamed of but <laughs> mostly right now uh, typescript yeah. i think you should be proud <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could always learn, you know, how not to do things. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. um, okay, great. And how long have you worked for Postnode as a tech yeah. lead? Uh, as a tech lead, I mean, I joined Postnode as uh, a senior lead, which is more uh, architecture-based role. And uh, in last January, um, I got more into the tech leadership part of it. Um, and uh, the work tech lead means a lot of things, you know, to different companies. But what I'm mostly responsible of right now is um, competence lead for the teams that are on the node stack for Postnode, which 
I believe nine teams, ten teams now. Um, so my role is to gather consensus uh, among the teams um, when it comes to uh, you know which technology stacks to be used. Um, what are the common uh, patterns that we can generalize? What are the tooling that we can spread around the teams? And if we can uh, you know somewhat group up on creating a certain tool that would be useful for the rest of the teams. Yeah. Okay, and how many like developers are there at mm. Postnode and tech teams? Hmm. I didn't check the final number. I think in we have in general like the, the teams that are both on the Java stack and the Node stack, perhaps maybe 16 or 17 teams on average they're uh, i mean there's there's some kind of blueprint that teams are following but it's not mandatory which is three pro like three back-end programmers one or two front-end um, and one qa and somewhat part-time shared ux designers that are working with multiple teams but PostNord is a is a very back-end heavy organizations most of the things are happening in the back end so this is why it's maybe 70% of the developers or maybe 75% are back end developers mm. yeah. and uh, yeah i mean i'm super curious we mm. had a little laugh her here before we <laughs> started that uh, I myself had some problem with Postnode and you say, oh, everyone always complains about packages and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, but how is it to work at Postnode? Uh, well, and how do you explain my package <laughs> got lost? I'm going to be honest with you, Kalotta, like this. I've not had a random conversation at a bar where my job came up without a complaint about Postnode. <laughs> it's... Um, the thing is, uh, I mean, we as humans, we do tend to remember the negative experience more than the positive ones uh, for, for good reasons, for good reasons. But uh, I mean, PostNord had had like a major transition throughout the last couple of years. Uh, it was dealing with a lot of legacy from the past. I mean, it's a massive organization that spans, you know, multiple countries. It's... Uh, it's, it's, it's a, if people don't know, it's, the, it's a joint venture between Denmark and Sweden. Um, and uh, having to deal with you know, two markets at the same time is also a little bit of a hassle. And also having, to, having the responsibility to deliver to every single person in the country as big as Sweden with this geographical distribution of Sweden. Also, it's a lot, of, uh, it's, it's a lot to work with. I don't know about the package. <laughs> that's okay, fast, that's fine. <laughs> you don't have to sit and explain yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I'm super curious because mm -hmm. I have wor mostly worked in startups. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm actually super interested to hear how you work in such a big organization. Mm -hmm. And yeah. like what the challenges are and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have also worked for startups. So what would you say are the biggest differences? Mm -hmm. Um, I can bring it from a couple of perspectives. There is the perspective of the companies I have worked with, and there's the perspective of the companies that I have spoken to, and you know, um, where I know friends are working there, and the, the information, the, the, the 
things that you get that gets passed inside this bubble. Uh, so as a big organization, there is a lot of you know debt from the past that they have to deal with. Uh, there are m sources of data that are written in you know old kind of uh, style databases that they have to still process you have to keep alive that are sometimes not even on the cloud so they are sitting on a server somewhere and uh, the server crashes every five minutes but uh, it's uh, it's a major overhaul to get it to work and on you know with the modern systems as far as PostNord is concerned, there has been somewhat of a major overhaul of the tech stacks in the last few years. Um, we've moved almost entirely into um, AWS lambdas. So I would say maybe 70%, 80% of the teams are on AWS lambdas, which is somewhat bleeding edge when it comes to uh, you know, how easy to work with it, how fast it scales and so on. Um, and then we're working on uh, node stack in general. There's a little bit of legacy Java applications. Some people still use Java, but I would say it's by default, if you're gonna start a new project in PostNode right now, there's an expectation that it would be in uh, Node, in TypeScript. And there's maybe one um, unusual uh, tech choice that I've not seen anywhere else other than uh, PostNode, which is that we're using Vue.js for the front end, which uh, that differs quite a lot from what startups use. I mean, I can bet you right now that 95% of the startups you're going to talk to are using React. Uh, which Us included. Yeah, <laughs> it comes with the package. Uh, I mean, there are newer technologies there. There, uh, you know, people are using Next.js and um, you know, or when, when virtual and is it virtual virtual to change the name, but um, yeah, at, at, at front end wise, we're using Vue.js. Interesting, and yeah, I can imagine that you have a lot of legacy code. Maybe yeah. you want to then move over the project to something newer. You mm -hmm. said you uh, worked in Java and now in Node. Like, where do you even start to like migrate a big project like PostNode? That's that's the that's the, the big hassle that people need to get comfortable with once you, they join a big organization, whether it's PostNode or Klarna or even Spotify. Some people say Spotify is, uh, you know. It's, it didn't, you know, come into the scene a year or two ago. It's, they're still dealing with a lot of things from from uh, their inception days. Um, but I, the thing is that it's really hard to garner motivation or sell business people on the idea of rebuilding things because they're always thinking. Because it's working. <laughs> it's working, yeah, and there is some logic behind it. You know, if it ain't broken, you know, why fix it? Makes sense. Um, but um, it, in, in big companies, people need to kind of at least get a bit comfortable with the fact that there will be some legacy systems. Uh, however, in startups, uh, it's they have different standards, for example, when it comes to code. Uh, so they can hack away something over a weekend and it would work just fine. You know, just push it to production and 
if it breaks, you know, we'll eventually find out about it. You know, however, <laughs> post something like post Nord. If something breaks, uh, someone is going to tweet about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've seen quite a, quite a lot of funny, you know, hashtags about, you know, post Nord, how things break and so on. And um, But the thing is, that's, that's the reality that you live with when it comes to working with the big companies that uh, it could something could work with you a thousand times for one million people, but maybe for ten people could fail two times or three times, then this, uh, this is the thing that people remember. But when it comes to working with a startup, I mean, I mean something like um, Barnaby's, where I used to work before here, I mean, it was considered somewhat of a moderate-sized startup that had like maybe a million users or something like this. Um, natural cycles, maybe like a million and a half, and then maybe now a little bit more. So a million users or a million hits a day, it's for an organization of the side of size of PostNord is really not that much. That would be pretty much a side project for, for someone because you work on things on larger scales. So living with the with this this anxiety something that people <laughs> do get used to uh, pretty quickly uh some like and also like one of one of the things that you know you have to know about big organizations and i'm not singling out post node here but it's just like pretty much in the big organization that there are a lot of teams and each each team has their own stake that's something so um you can't just go ahead and decide for the rest of the teams you have to you have to talk to people quite a bit and uh, and I think at post North they have done this they've got it right like uh, for for the new generation of teams the ones on the node stack things that get decided really really quickly there are project managers involved and if there is something that needs to be done you can pretty much take the green light and run with it in a day something like this so uh, there was an understanding from the management of PostNord that there is right now a new generation of uh, kind of couriers or delivery service that popped in the market. Things like uh, Instabox, AirMe, Bring. Um, those are things that people started to look into, you know, when it comes to having, you know, the latest tech, new features and, you know, uh, quick logistics and so on. Um, but uh, and, and uh, this 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 is something that they realized that it, they needed to act upon very quickly. So it gave them the motivation to um, you know, speed up uh, the transition of PostNord into a modern uh, modern uh, company. Um, so there was, for example, there's a lot of freedom for you to as a team to. Um, decide what is it that you want to work with there we would definitely you know appreciate if you would uh, work with a specific tech stack because that way you can you know have other people you know join in you know interchange between teams and so on and also the expertise would be available if you had a question and the tooling would be shared and so on uh, but if you decided, for example, to work with, um, I don't know, if you wanted to have an Angular project, uh, no one is going to say no, but 
you would have to take into consideration that you will be the only expert in, in the whole company that would work with this. Um, but yeah, as, as I mentioned, this realization that the world is changing pretty fast. And as a big organization, if you don't change, you die. I think it, it forced this culture of openness and uh, progression at PostNord. Um, it became, for example, very tolerant of remote work. Uh, like I myself have been working remotely since pretty much I joined. Every once in a while, I go into the office. It's good to meet people and you know face to face and uh, uh, kind of build rapport with uh, with your colleagues. But we're extremely distributed. We have uh, maybe thirty percent or something of our um, of our uh, staff are or like our engineers are located in Cebu in the Philippines and we have you know some people working out of brew some people are just like me I'm, um, I'm working from my van like I travel around the world and I work in my van and it's it works fine as long as you know once every month or two you know you're gonna drop by the office you know have a cup of coffee with your colleagues and you know chit chat about things or uh, whip out the whiteboard and you know talk tech stacks yeah. yeah cool let's talk about your van later <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that <clears throat> so okay my question is um, as we were talking about that uh, it pops up uh, you know startups like Airme, Instabox mm-hmm. they maybe not startups anymore mm-hmm. but they can probably change like the same week they can make a change mm-hmm. and then you know you look at these like huge companies uh, one example is Facebook mm-hmm. and they there's some obvious flaws mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where you just think like why can't they just change they mm-hmm. have like the best developers in the world um, like what is it like Okay, it can break and a lot of people will notice it. Mm-hmm. But what is it that makes that you have these big companies, but their web pages are actually not so good sometimes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can you explain that to yeah. us? Uh, I can explain from the perspective of PostNord. Um, the thing is, uh, as a, a company grows, it will eventually become more conservative. There's no there's no denying of that. Um, but the way we approach it at PostNord is that we fracture teams into smaller and smaller units that are as dependent as independent as they can be. So some team would have complete ownership over uh, shipment tracking, for example. This is the team that you probably want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I will invite them the next time. <laughs> Uh, so they have complete autonomy and ownership over um, their uh, their stack. They're the ones adding features. Um, the I mean the, the the product owner of the team would definitely be in touch with all the stakeholders. But if they decided that they want to release a feature right now, you don't actually get permission from you don't need permission from anyone. You just release the feature. Um, maybe you release it for you know an internal demoing and see what people think about it. But if you decided to add as a feature, add a feature as a team, you can go ahead and do it right away, and there are no expectations of you to take permissions from anyone. So this is how PostNord realized that this is the the best way to kind of 
um, to work with like in, in this new fast-growing um, kind of environment so instead of being one large behemoth of a corporation what you're gonna be is like a lot of fractured and independent startups and each feature so like the tracking of shipment for example um, it is considered as its own tiny startup um, with its own kind of autonomy yeah but uh, there there are definitely some long-term strategies that uh, teams would have to you know at least like they should be aware of what the, what the long-term uh, vision is yeah. interesting and <coughs> what are the different teams like how do you divide the teams mm. that is a good question um, it's I'm, I'm not sure if any company actually got the team division right it's I think it's the team structure grows kind of like how a baby grows it's just organically over time and it shapes itself um, some teams uh, they have responsibilities that are a bit more defined um, like we have the access and login team the, the definition is in the name they're responsible for you know managing this login page and you have the user team for example which is responsible for you know storing and managing user data and user uh, authorities mostly like business users and so on um, so but it's mostly in general it's about it's about features so uh, some team is responsible for um, let's say the software that uh, the, the pickup services are using to look up your shipment um, I'm sure like if you went to pick up a um, like a post-nerd package, if it arrives. <laughs> if you <Never> know. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you want to pick up the package, this is the team that's designed this app that looks up this um, QR code and so on. It's you know it's its own specific uh, team that handles that. But uh, sometimes you just create a whole new team from scratch that takes a bit of responsibilities from here and there. When you see that there's uh, with this one team that uh, handles a bit too much. Yeah. Mm. But it's an organic process that I don't think any company can adequately define it. Yeah. Because mm. the more you define it, uh, the more rigid you will be and the uh, less capable you will be of creating new features because you'll be worried, is it going to be on the hands of this team or on the hands of that team? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting with this uh, whole team working on the login page. <laughs> like, how much can you work on a login? How often do you change that? Yeah. Uh, would you as a developer, if you were being in the login team, yeah. don't you ever get bored if it's like only like, yeah. hey, login? Yeah. Is that, or what What do you think? Uh, you'd be surprised. It's actually, it's, it's, um, it's a very sensitive part of, uh, of the operations in there because they're handling masses, ma massive do loads of data and uh, sometimes like recently they had to uh, migrate uh, from MySQL to CouchDB um, and uh, at the same time maintaining the, maintaining the, the, the same expected level of operations 
um, like latency and speed and so on. And there are quite a bit of challenges. Like I can maybe take a few examples from the user team, which is the team that I interact with uh, quite a bit. Uh, we had to, for example, allow the users to have different organizations when they log into the page. So you can be as one user, um, belong to multiple organizations and you'd be able to switch between those organizations. And you'd be surprised by the amount of logic that you have to deal with because you're, um, you're, you're, you're dealing with an established way of working uh, with like what, what a definition of what a user is. And you have to completely redefine the logic of what a user is to allow something like that to happen. And uh, maybe the, the main difference between startups and big companies there is that what is it that the that the developer would have to find interesting to be engaged with the task. Um, in startups, mostly developers would be looking for the amount of features that they would be shipping. Um, in the in, in, in big companies, it would be mostly about the type of abstractions that you're building, because each feature that you build would have to be uh, well thought out. It's all about taking your time. There is never really a serious hard deadline for a feature to be released. There are expectations of others, but you, you, no one is ever going to pressure you into building something pretty quickly. You know, you're never going to be bothered. No one ever contacts you, you know, after work hours. I work at night, so sometimes I, I do bother other people <laughs> messaging them at night, but only no if one except you. <laughs> exactly. I, uh, for me, I, I enjoy working at night more. This is where I find most of my energy. But yeah, I mean, you message someone and they reply in the morning, and or maybe they are in Cebu in the Philippines, and uh, 3 a.m. here is like what, like 9 a.m. or like 10 a.m. over there. So so if you if you're a night owl, you're gonna sing very well with the <laughs> with the Philippines team. Uh, so yeah, there is no rush. To do anything uh, because you're expected to have already you know been thoughtfully selected before you join the team so there is an expectation of you that you've already you have you know solidified set of work ethics uh, so no one really watches over your back if you were working on something that you thought is going to take a day but it ended up taking a week no one will ever ping you and be like hey you promised me this in a day you know, because there's there's an staggering amount of trust that we have at Postnode that I have not seen in other uh, other startups. Yeah, <coughs> it does not sound like Vital at all. <laughs> <laughs> How is it going at Vital? Ah, uh, no, it's great. No, <laughs> but we um, we really we release uh, things. I don't want to say like every day, but. Mm. Uh, we were we hack our way all over the platform. <laughs> we jung, uh, juggle the app and the web at uh, the same time, and the back end. And yeah, it's a different lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so I just have mm. one last question before we move on to the differences mm. between startup and uh, big companies, and that is uh, that you are going over to Node from mm. Java, 
And I know a couple of years ago when I started with Node, or I was actually a front-end developer and started with back-end. So the natural way for me was to uh, go to Node because that's JavaScript. Um, but then a lot of people were uh, almost like scared of Node and like, no, that is not stable. It can never work to have JavaScript. But now PostNode is using it for the back-end. Yeah. Would you recommend Node and what are, do you know the differences mm. between Java and Node mm. and do you feel that Node was the correct language mm. to use or correct platform to use? Mm. I'm just curious. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a tool, I would say, and <laughs> tools come in different shapes and sizes. Um, in the past, we were using Node over JavaScript and as you know, JavaScript is not really the Nicest language to work with. It I, I like JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just, the only language I know, so. Yeah. It, it just it allows you to do a lot of things that you shouldn't do without at least a little bit of warning. Mm. You know, it's, uh, mm. But what yeah. are the cons if we start there? Mm. Speed, first of all. I mean, there is, uh, I think the, the, the NPM. Um, like the, there was, there's like maybe like one and a half million PM modules out there that can be, everything has been already built for you. Um, so everything is, like there are a lot of modules that are, you know, has stood the, the, the test of time and have been used hundreds of, you know, thousands or even millions of times, right? So having, you know, access to something of this size was definitely, it's a, it's a great feature. Mm. Oh, that's a pro. I that's said the, pro. Ah, the cons. Really yeah, I start from the other way. What are the cons? Mm. <laughs> well, you can't build a database in Node. I mean, it's not. I mean, the way that uh, you know the 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 V eight engine works. Um, it's you know, the V eight engine that, that that was written in C plus plus, and it takes the JavaScript code and um, kind of. Uh, runs this code it's just it's not the fastest code in the world uh, so if you're gonna do you know super high latency the things where you care about how things are stored in the memory and so on so you're probably better off with something like um, maybe not Java but mostly like Golang or something like this Java has its uh, some sets of uh, problems and there's some kind of and you can see that there's a trend of going away from Java in the last few years. It's, uh, it's a great language, but I think the main reason why it's been used sometimes is the fact that there's a lot of institutional muscle memory around it. It's just kind of like SQL, you know, the most, like if, if you started a new project, when you have a basic service where you have users logging in and out and stuff, and you use SQL, probably the only reason you're doing it is because that's the one thing that you know. SQL and Java, right? Uh, however, we have a lot of new uh, tech stacks out there that you know compensate for some of the cons. But yeah, cons of Node uh, definitely speed is something that people will complain about. But then again, the I'm talking about like fractions of milliseconds uh, when it comes. Yeah, to like speed. when does it actually becomes a problem? Well, it becomes a problem if you were. Um, if you were doing like very heavy calculations, um, which I think that's really not the case for most of the applications that startups develop or what 
Postman or DevOps. Mostly you want to get something off the ground really quickly. You don't want to manage your own memory and you don't want to work with pointers and, uh, and you know, have a lot of, you know, uh, bugs in the system or you don't want to spend a whole week working on something that you can probably just import as an NPM module, right? Um, but if you're doing something super high latency, like a trading app, I would definitely not recommend Node, right? Because every millisecond costs you money. So you can probably afford spending the extra week to get a uh, feature shift. Yeah. Hmm? But okay, that's that, a good yeah. explanation. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> other than that, I can't think of <coughs> something that is fundamentally wrong hmm. with Node. Um, the, the ecosystem is progressing pretty quickly, especially after TypeScript came in and it fixed a lot of the issues that JavaScript had and it made Node a lot more accessible to big organizations. Mm. Yeah. <coughs> cool, now we sorted that out. Mm. Um, so, okay, so differences mm. between startups and mm. corporate. Yeah. Uh, which one do you prefer? Uh, Maybe I'm contractually obligated to favor corporate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so joking, of course. Um, I think it depends on, on what you really want from life. Um, I mean, I had a period of time where I didn't mind, you know, waking up at you know one in the morning because there's a warning from a system. And because in startups, there are no really set boundaries, which is one of the... One of the um, issues I found with startups, uh, but some people enjoy that. Some people um, want this kind of fast-paced, high-energy development environments. Um, but I think at the stage right now, um, my mindset is more of you know, building something that is architecturally sound, something that um, is beautiful to look at, something with very high standards. <laughs> Uh, so it probably wouldn't last a day at Wita, I guess. Wita <laughs> oh, is beautiful, inside <laughs> out. Yeah, but the, the point is, like, for example, hacking uh, something, like pushing to production. Like, if you didn't write tests, people would really frown upon you in, uh, in big companies. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, even we try to write tests. <laughs> you tried? We tried. How did that work? No, we do. <laughs> we have tests. <coughs> Not everywhere, but uh, we have a few. <laughs> the most important mm. parts. <laughs> um. Um, but yeah, we're mm. in an interesting stage, actually, mm. because we, uh, it's from the beginning, it was only me and Susanna, there's full stack. Mm. Um, now we are growing, so now mm. we are, have taken in, while we're also hiring mm. at WeTown, of course. We have taken in two people from Ukraine, mm -hmm. and it is interesting when the team grows. Everyone has to start understanding each other, mm -hmm. testing each other's things. Why did you do that? Mm -hmm. And it's fun to go through all these stages. Mm -hmm. um, and you are at the last stage yeah. <laughs> uh, where you can just sit and look at beautiful code all mm. day. No one <laughs> asks you anything. We're not at that stage, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, okay, so right now you would say you like corporate. I would say it's, it satisfies 
um, something within me. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate the startup mindset quite a lot. But then again, there's, there's a reason why startups are that way. Um, I mean, startups need, they didn't really find their, you know, sweet spot in the market yet. So there's always kind of, their, their, they have to push against the walls every now and then. And just to see if this is the thing that they are going to be uh, working on for the next few years and so on. So they have to pivot quite a bit. Uh, big corpos, they have already known what they're working on. So they're just solidifying the thing that they decided to be good at. Um, I would I, like there will be a point in time where I'm gonna go back to the startup scene, but more as an entrepreneur and the founder, which is something that's gonna happen in the next few years. Um, so, but right now it's kind of like a, a vacation from the mess. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> sounds good for you. <laughs> um, great. So we're gonna also cover uh, quickly now because we we got stuck on this, but it, it's because mm. I'm so interested. Uh, so we're also gonna uh, talk about, or you are gonna talk about, uh, how to get into the Stockholm tech scene. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, what is the um, what's important when you are looking for a tech job in Stockholm? Mm. Well, there is the mistake that I've seen that is happening over and over again, which is that developers were treating themselves as a commodity. And if you thought about something as a commodity, something that is not a brand, you're probably going to look for the cheapest, most efficient uh, product out there. Um, but if you, if, if you thought about yourself as a brand, then the companies that you're talking to are going to think of you as a brand. They're going to think of you, okay, you are asking for, you know, 30% above the average market value, but this is why exactly you would be paying, um, I don't know, 70, 80 crowns for, or maybe 100 crowns uh, for a drink at Starbucks, right? But you wouldn't buy that drink from 7-Eleven, right? But a lot of people who go into the marketing, this is the main mistake I've seen, is that they all think of themselves as 7-Elevens, as something that is generic, uh, that they are like anyone else, and they don't really need to work on making a brand out of themselves. Um, and the thing is, recruiters and companies pick up on that pretty quickly, right? So that way, they are going to compare you to the rest of the options that are available in the market and they're going to start negotiating over you know a thousand corners or you know two thousand corners uh, but you can't just go and declare yourself a brand there has to be a little bit of specialization right you have to pick something up and say this is the thing that i uh, decided to specialize in and be great at and this is gonna be a, the motto of my brand um, I mean um, it, it, there, there are a lot of varieties of each um, of each type of commodity out there right like if you went to buy um, a gallon of gas uh, from OKQ8 Kota, I think it's in Swedish, or from Shell. It's you really most of the time. It's just like it's a it's a gallon of gas, right? 
so it's uh, if this if if company is picked up on the tone, then um, they're gonna place you, and they're gonna look at your experiences and even your own individuality as just a set of metrics in a spreadsheet. And uh, this is, I don't think as developers we really want to think of ourselves as that. We want to think of ourselves as individualists and artists and people with a lot to offer. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm an artist. <laughs> but how do you separate yourself from the crowd? Like, what's your thing? Well, from like, my thing is that I label myself as a craftsman, is what I do. I, for me, it's, it's passion. Like, I'm, I'm driven by it, it's something that genuinely. You know, gets me going. You know, it's uh, being a craftsman means that you are putting serious attention into everything that you're doing, uh, not to the point of overthinking or being a bit too rigid or anything, but it's more like you are taking your craft very seriously, um, which um, you also can find. You know, there are a lot of reasons that why people do things. Sometimes, you know, um, people are developers because they need to pay the bills, which is it's fine. Like no one should ever fear the pressure um, to develop passion for something that they don't have passion towards. But um, being a craftsman has to somehow uh, couple itself with being passionate. And if you imagine someone, you know, uh, carving through a piece of wood and just paying attention to every single nook and cranny and every single curve uh, and making sure even the parts that will never be seen by anyone, like there are pieces of the code that we'll be working on, I know that the next time a person is going to see it is going to be five, six years from now. <laughs> No, I'm not trying to impress anyone. But they're anyone. gonna be very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> if they, uh, if the someone actually dug so deep, yeah. But uh, you're really the thing is you're really not doing it for anyone. You're doing it for yourself. Like you, you wanna go to bed at night thinking that you've done your best, uh, that you've learned something, that you've challenged yourself, and that you didn't just paint over something to make it look like it works which um, uh, if, if like if, if you have followed this mindset of just paint it to make it make it look like it works eventually at some point in time you're gonna be thought of as the person that you know just throws things into production just to you know make it seem like things are fine and one of those times is gonna blow up, you know, <laughs> and it's. Uh, uh, but it doesn't matter really what people think. It's what matters That's what you, you think paint it over with another brush. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a really thick wall right there. <laughs> I feel like you're talking about me. <laughs> um, yeah, that's very cool. And when do you think? Um, you know, because there's always some manager that is not technical, mm -hmm. that does not know about your craft. Um, maybe the person thinks like, okay, why is this taking so long? Mm -hmm. Do you, how do you mm, communicate that to them? Uh, is it 
how is it easy, difficult? I know there can be some mm. difficult there to explain to people that don't code. Why? Why should you do this for, you know, a week and not mm. just a day? If it. Well, I'm gonna do something, Halotta. It's, it's perception is literally the most subjective thing in the world. We cannot control other people's perceptions. We're all walking around with this mini universe of thoughts of, and ideas and things, you know, and memories, and they're all translating to perception. I cannot control anyone's perception. The only thing that can control something like this is the culture, is the environment. If you start onboarding people that would have no uh, work ethics, for example, they're going to eventually gonna end up eating up into this culture of trust that is being established. Like right now, if you tell the product owner or even the CEO or CTO, if you tell them this is something that's going to take X amount of time and I'm going to do it in very good quality, then there is 100% belief in you. And the moment you allow a shred of doubt to kind of uh, contaminate the environment, then it's going to be just a race to the bottom. And uh, the perception of people are going to start, you know, being painted a bit darker and darker over time. Yeah, but I don't believe that if a person has a perception of you, uh, I don't believe we can control other people's perceptions. Yeah. <coughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very philosophical answer there. <coughs> um, great. So just a couple of quick uh, last questions before mm -hmm. we leave. So um, if we go back to the Stockholm tech scene, Mm -hmm. uh, what programming languages uh, I think for our junior listeners, maybe they're getting into the tech scene, like mm -hmm. what languages should they learn, what should they think about, and what are your mm -hmm. like quick advice for them? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are safe bets. Uh, you got to keep in mind, we live in a world where there is a scarcity of um, skilled programmers. So the ones who set uh, the standards are those who are actually doing the programming. It's not really the managers anymore. So um, you're gonna find a lot of the new projects that are coming in in languages like uh, like GoLang for specific applications, um, uh, or uh, perhaps Rust for you know even like I know I heard recently that Voy transitioned from C to Rust <coughs> because Rust is easier to work with. Uh, cool. There's um, if so if you if you're interested in lower level programming, if you want to be closer to the metal, then I think Rust is picking up momentum. Um, if you're interested in system engineering, I think GoLang would be a good language to um, start dealing with. There's an increasing demand that I've noticed in the last uh, maybe year and a half or two. Uh, a lot of the financial, like the fintech startups I've spoken to, they are using Golang. It's amazing how Golang is just penetrating this fintech market in Stockholm. So if that's the clear thing, if you would like to work in fintech, I think that that's what I would recommend. Um, I would say a lot of the um, 
a lot of the startups are also using uh, Node right now over TypeScript. Maybe it's some kind of selection bias because <laughs> those are the ones that I'm talking to. But uh, it seems like a decent portion of them are using it. Um, functional programming seems to be quite a thing right now. Um, so familiarizing yourself with you know the fundamentals of functional programming, uh, things like composition, recursion, things like that is going to come in pretty handy. Uh, that's if you want you had interest in the the back end. The front end seems like React is eating the market for years, and um, it's not really expected to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, I would say don't really waste your time with Angular. Um, it's just vanishing very rapidly out of the market. I mean, I've not really seen any new Angular projects, any of the start startups that I've been talking to. Uh, there is still some institutional muscle memory there, so um, some startups and companies would be looking for people to maintain old Angular projects. Um, Database-wise, um, I don't know how useful it would be for you to get really good at learning SQL. Um, uh, it's something that is also kind of diminishing a little, um, mostly because it's not as scalable or easy to work with, or the, the, a lot of the applications of it are becoming more and more limited, and it takes a bit more time to develop, you know, even trivial things with it. Um, so perhaps DynamoDB, MongoDB could be, you know, those two options are good things to start with. They're abundant in the market and they're very easy to learn. And um, you'll find quite a bit of, um, you know, learning materials out there on YouTube and so on to how to you know, get up and running with them. All right, thank you. <clears throat> Great talk. I learned a lot, actually. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming. It was great to have you here and good luck with uh, finding my <laughs> my package, Noah. <laughs> good luck with uh, your uh, career. Thank you. I'm going to dig through the warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Valotta. I'm very happy to be here. And uh, thank you, Linda, as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. WeTal Talks is created by WeTal, a coding community with thousands of developers. In our app, you can find your next career opportunity or join tech conversations. See you next time. <laughs>